Welcome to the Career Happiness Podcast. My name is Soma Ghosh. I am the founder of a business called the Career Happiness Mentor. And within this podcast, we explore themes around career happiness, confidence, well-being, and so much more. Not only do I do one-to-one personalized episodes to really, really support you as a listener, but you will have the chance to listen to really, really amazing guests from all corners of not just world, but different industries. It's really, really important that you are not only happy in your career, but you make time to progress in a way that feels right for you. So if you want to have more energy in your career, change your career, find out more about how to potentially start a business or even help your teenager with careers advice, this is the podcast for you. Thanks so much. Hey, everyone. So I have Lola with me here today. Hey, Lola, how are you? I'm fine. Thank you, Shoma. How are you? Yeah, I'm really, really good. More more good because I'm speaking to you. Uh, And I know that we had like a brief debrief call before we decided to do this other. We had a really interesting discussion, didn't we? Do you remember that? No, I do. It's quite a few months ago, but it was such a good discussion. I do remember it. Yeah, it was really, really good. I want to kind of start off because I know a little bit about what you do with your business. You know, you've got a lot of kind of strings to your bow there. But can you kind of tell um, the audience today a little bit more about you, your business and what you do? Of course I can. So I am a first level leader and early careers specialist. And what I do is I work with organizations predominantly to help them with their first level leaders to be equitable and inclusive leaders because it's habits and practices that you have to learn. Um, Being a leader doesn't always come naturally and being an equitable and inclusive leader definitely doesn't always come naturally. So it's sharing with organizations and their first level leaders how to really embed those practices to build inclusive workplaces And I also work with entry talent um, because just entering into the workforce as your first um, step on your career trajectory can be quite daunting. And particularly for those from underrepresented communities. So I create tailored um, workshops, coaching, engagements to really help them with that first step to ensure that their motivation and enthusiasm for their role that they've just got, it only increases and not diminishes simply because they haven't been supported. Or they, and also, very importantly, they haven't been equitably supported in their areas of development. Um, so that's what I do. It's been a journey, um, which I'm sure we will go on prior, I mean, later on in the, in the conversation. My background prior to starting Sunning Consultancy was actually in investment banking. So I worked in investment banking for 20 years wow. in senior business management capacities and also as the global head of technical technology training, um, which was interesting. That opened my eyes to the impact that structured and strategic development um, learning and development opportunities can have on an individual and on an organization as a whole. Yeah. Wow. So there's, there's quite a lot of breadth to work <laughs> there. And I, I love the fact that you come from 
a background that I think a lot of people may you know also think wow so you went from that background to doing this that's, that's really really interesting tapping into that a little bit and we will get back to what you do in a minute in terms of what you did before with your career because you know we are speaking on a career podcast what kind of do you feel like helped you to set up your business what were the kind of lessons that you learned Lola the lessons that I learned was uh that's a really good question Shoma the lessons I learned about myself whilst mm. I was in my entrepreneur career yeah. was very much you have to market yourself you have to understand mm. what I call your unique sprinkle powers are and once you understand what they are, you then need to know how to communicate them to your target audience. And I feel this is a skill that is not necessarily, it's more, it's more spoken about in the yeah. business space as, as entrepreneurs, but in the mm. entrepreneur space, it's not usually spoken yeah. about in such breadth. But for me, that was one thing that I learned when I started to speak up for myself, when I started to self-advocate and demonstrate my skills and my abilities, I was able to not just thrive in my role, I was able to create roles that I wanted that suited my skills and my strengths and also aligned to the areas of development that I wanted to further enhance. So I was able to really, I would say, take the balls by the horn and be my first and loudest cheerleader. I was able to also network. So building a support network was fundamental to me. And I was able to do that successfully. And that also helped me in my career development, finding the next step, creating, um, finding those mentors, seeking out sponsors, and just building a wider support network as well. So I think those were the two major things, apart from obviously being a senior business manager, or the, <laughs> the understanding of how business effectively is profitable is to me. But in terms of me and able to successfully market my business and mm -hmm. self-advocate, those were two skills, um, as well as building a network that really did I put to good use when I when I established Tolman Consultancy. Yeah, yeah, and the two really really important lessons Lala, that I think I I struggled with the the, the self advocacy. You know, um, I know that I help a lot of my clients now, but it's something that I had to learn. Yes. And with the networking, you know, often it's like, oh yeah, you're in a room and you're networking. But as we know, as business owners, it's so much more than that. It's it? so not. much more than that. It's and people. I always say, I think one of the first um, blogs that I wrote when I started swimming consultancy because networking was very crucial. It was network heaven or network hell. And it's how you. <laughs> I know, right? It's how you approach it. So it's very much for me. It was about okay, what is my networking style? And I actually created a networking strategy template. So. But once a quarter, I'll say, okay, where do I want to show up? Why am I showing up? What am I getting? But more importantly, what am I giving to the people that I'm engaging with? Yeah. So I, I found it to be very beneficial when I approached it that way, as opposed to turning up at every given event. And I'm thinking you're spending more times, and this it can be very easy, particularly mm. if you are if you do have your own business, 
showing up in every single place possible yeah and you're like do you are you actually working on your business at all are you, <laughs> are you doing anything yeah. strategic with your business um and again even as an entrepreneur it's like okay why are you going to these networking events so when people say oh you, you have to network it's like okay which which networking circles do you want to be showing up in and why so being very clear of the strategy of your networking strategy before you just start going out there. And also it helps if you understand who's going to be at networking events. Who yeah. are you talking to? So what type of conversations are you going to have? I remember um, I used to give examples to my coaching clients that you know, the, when people when people do go out to network, I say, okay, so what do you do? What do you say? And they just used to roll off this pitch for like three minutes, not taking a breath, not asking me any questions. Wow. I was like, yeah, no. <laughs> That's how you get people to walk away from you and avoid you this year at the next networking event. Remember people by people. So if you come across as someone who's just trying to drain every single soul for me, I'm going to quickly end the conversation and I'll make a mental note to avoid you at any other future networking events. You have to bring your your person into the networking space mm. and it is very much people by people listen people love talking about themselves asking questions about themselves build up a relationship before you start asking for any support or assistance so yes so, so networking is very very key and it's, it's just really important that people don't get so scared mm. of the term networking that they don't indulge in it and people sometimes believe you have to be an extrovert to go into you don't some of the best people i i go to networking events with are introverts yeah it's all all very ins insightful stuff there and yeah we've all met the person who goes on for like <laughs> five minutes or the person who just like doesn't ask any questions oh yeah exactly. i'm sure we've, we've We've both met very interesting people and people <laughs> listening i'm sure you're remembering or having bad flashbacks of interesting characters that you might have met at networking events one thing that you said in terms of the kind of thing that you really really helped to do which is why i think i really resonate with your posts on linkedin and the work that you do that word kind of inclusivity and inclusive you know workplace and this is something that when I was a careers advisor you know I wasn't really in the corporate space but sometimes when we would go to our head office we'd be very rarely in the corporate space and then we'd have our trainings there and that would be like once every year and I used to feel very kind of like although our team was inclusive the company itself didn't feel as inclusive as it could be. And I know that there's a lot of talk about inclusion, diversity, it almost feels, I don't want to say buzzword, but it almost feels mm -hmm. like we're talking about it for the wrong reasons, Lola. Mm -hmm. And what do you think in terms of the work that you do to help the inclusivity? What do you think, you know, companies, organisations, individuals should be thinking about when they think about the word inclusivity? Because it's, it's a wide word where where do you start when you're trying to help organizations think about inclusivity i start with how how do well one looking at your workforce and how everyone is showing up mm. and does everyone feel that their voice is valued in equitable terms i look at the development pathways they've got in place how are they supporting individuals because like for example particularly if I'm looking at, um, let's say, entry talent. And they say, oh, yes, we've got a marvellous graduate programme. 
is that okay? But you know your cohorts are not just clones of each other, right? Mm. They all come from, hopefully, well, sometimes they come from different backgrounds. They have different challenges. So if you have a mono graduate program, is that meeting, is that, is that an equitable development program? Because if it's not, then you're not being inclusive because people are not, people not being supported in the areas they need support with. Yeah. And you're looking at it from a very generic lens. So an example is um, one of my other passions is social mobility and how organisations are helping to support that. And particularly in the corporate space, you know, we are trying to dismantle um, the old boys club, as it were. So if you have people who are from lower socioeconomic backgrounds, possibly they haven't had the corporate exposure that other individuals have had. So they may, not, they may not feel confident or fully comfortable in the corporate space, talking to the CFO or you know, having conversations with people who are, who are in a more senior position. So how are you helping them develop? Because if you are not, then you are, you are feeding into almost a self-fulfilling prophecy. Mm-hmm. It's the same people who excel faster. So they are the ones who will be in leadership positions. And so the cycle continues. So when I'm talk, when I look at inclusivity, and I feel some organizations, they do get quite scared and they start throwing everything they can at it. And then, like you said, once the, buzz, once the buzzword has lost its buzz, their incentives start to die down as well. And then you're back at square one. So when you're looking at inclusion, it's what's your onboarding had what does your onboarding look like what does your outreach look like where are you recruiting from is everyone being developed and supported in the same way are are there equitable opportunities for development across the board and if there's not what are organizations doing to address that inclusivity has to be when you're looking to build inclusive workplaces you have to look at all your policies you have to look at your practices what is leadership saying the people what's middle management what what are middle management doing you know what are entry talents saying you have to really dissect what is the culture within your organization and be honest about it it's okay to say yeah we're not as inclusive what we as what we need to be and one thing that i did when i was heading up a global team and we was we were moving to a new office. I joined the Disability Network Employee Resource Group, and the reason I did that is because when we are when we are create when we were creating training, we had to look at is it the right color, is it the right font for those with visibility um, needs. So we really had to understand, you know, who are we supporting everyone. You know where they how they, how are we doing the best we can to be inclusive with our training so that opened my eyes um to some factors where we definitely weren't being inclusive but also just in terms of okay if i'm is this wheelchair is this um accessible for wheelchair users no it's not okay so what are we doing about this and it's really making sure that every facet of your organization is being as inclusive as possible and to be real with it because it is a journey you're not going to change everything overnight but you need to be aware in order for that change to happen so i would say you know look at for me obviously because what where my focus is is in um, development so i'm looking at development pathways 
and are there are there equitable opportunities for development across the board and with my with first level leaders the services i offer there it's very much about embedding practices from that stage because once you start as a leader you're setting the tone for your team and then the team is setting the tone for the department and the department is setting the tone for the organization so it's if this is if it's your first time in the position of leadership i want to fully equip and support you firstly to understand the the importance of inclusion and then secondly to provide with the tools and the strategies and the processes and the practices to be an an equitable and inclusive leader thank you very 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 interesting stuff that you were talking about there and i think social mobility is often it's often the one that we kind of when when i was doing my postgraduate alola we had to study when we were doing we did have a diversity and inclusion module it sounds so uh but uh, in the sense that i don't think it really covered enough to be honest and then you had to pick an area like you had to pick disability gender and i i did gender but now i wish i'd picked disability because i think all of us need a bit more understanding about even things like neurodiversity and things like that yeah it's really really important it's really wide and deep when people think about inclusivity hmm. and you know for like you said you know neurodiversity is being spoken about much more hmm. and there's so much work to do in that space as well as there is with gender as there is with race as race as there is with sexuality yeah and this is such a broad such a broad spectrum i feel that organizations shouldn't they shouldn't be scared by it yeah. that they are going to need various specialists in each and every single field yeah to really ensure they're being inclusive yeah and not, and not just that lola like you know not to get too personal on the podcast my my dad was a lawyer and he became disabled before mm. he passed away and he really loved his work so i think sometimes in those situations having those kind of people who have the expertise and knowledge if they were able to work like you know you think about hybrid working now mm. he he would have loved that if he was still here you know giving those kind of opportunities to people who would have had the experience and not just my dad there's loads of people who are in that situation now who are working because of technology mm. yeah. it's also about helping the people who have the knowledge who might become disabled later in, on in life to get the retention i mean have you um seen within your kind of uh, work that you do organizations trying to employ people who have loads of experience loads of expertise who might be in a, a position like that lola have you seen a situation like that if, if you haven't that's fine but no, I, I feel that i haven't i haven't personally seen it but i have a client a coaching client mm. and she was looking for a way in which she had well she was experiencing temporary disability mm. as it were and she was scared to convey to her line manager or to hr the extent of it and how long it might go on for because she felt that they were trying to they would try and manage her out of the position mm. so i just supported her with that communication mm. and letting her know that her value is still very much valid it's not it hasn't yeah. been diminished and i think it was creating that narrative within her own mindset that helped her fully convey with confidence um mm. to her organization this is the situation what can you do for me and mm. it was fine <laughs> it yeah. was absolutely fine so she was giving herself anxiety because mm. there was an expectation 
that the organization wouldn't be fully supportive. It's not all the time it happens that the outcome is positive, but mm. I think within your own mindset, you have to be very clear that your value is, is still 110% valid. Yeah, and I think a lot of people don't understand the, the work policies, like, you know, reasonable adjustments. I spoke about it yeah. in, a, in a podcast episode. People aren't aware that if you've got a, a disability or an illness, you know, I have endometriosis and I didn't know I had it. If I was aware of such policy, that could have worked to my advantage. Or that. And it's about educating. I mean, when you're doing the, the trainings that you're doing, are you trying to educate organizations to help their employees understand more as well? Because I think a lot of employees don't don't know what they don't know is what I'm learning as well. Oh, that is that is that is very, very big. I, and I wouldn't say I'm going into you know, policy awareness <laughs> workshops, yeah. or what it, but it's very much about making sure it's accessible That's, and yeah. making sure it's accessible and it's important for employees to know where to find it, make sure they've read it because we're all very big on mm. just signing doc contracts and it's like when I'm very big about terms and conditions and I've done a whole <laughs> I've done a, I had a whole awakening of creating my own terms and conditions of how I want to live my life but it's generally a lot of people we sign contracts without reading the small print yeah and it's important that we do read that because that can either help us progress or can hinder us so not only not only having policies being accessible but really encouraging um, employees to go through them and read them with a fine tooth comb. Brilliant, brilliant. Thank you for sharing that. I wanted to just ask a little bit. You you said that, you know, you're, you help kind of the entry point talent, like graduates. And although I don't directly work with graduates, I do know that sometimes when people want careers advice, they, they need support. They do listen to this podcast. So you know, for people who are just like, they've just finished their degree and they're kind of in the midst of employment or getting to that stage now as we're recording this in December and they're going to graduate next year and they're already panicking and thinking, ah, oh, you know, thinking about jobs and things like that. Mm. What kind of tips and advice would you give? Because the, the media doesn't help, Lola. You know, you see all these articles, oh, graduates are employed, this is happening, that's happening. What kind of tips and advice would you give to people who are about to graduate next year? or in January, potentially, who are worried. Worry doesn't add anything to your life, the first yeah. thing. It only stresses you out more. Yes, it does. It yeah. doesn't help you perform better in the interview. It doesn't help with your applications. Mm. So I would say drop the stress and the anxiety. You've done the hard work. Um, don't add any further stress to your life, if possible. Mm. Particularly when thinking about, oh, no, will I get a job? I'm going to be unemployed. Plan. Plan what you want. So when I say plan, I'm, I'm not talking blue sky thinking here. But if you are if you are looking, I don't know, to go into finance, for example, and also it's not just now you should be thinking about it. I say you start thinking about it definitely within your second year because then you can do internships, and sometimes internships can um, can be that nice stepping stone to getting your graduate placement. Not all the time, but it does give you that work exposure that strengthens your CV. So if you're on the sec if you're in your second year and you're listening to this, please make sure you're getting as much work exposure as you can. I know some people call it work experience. I call it work exposure. Because if you've done an internship, that's nine weeks. Mm. You have not learned enough to say you've had experience, you've had yeah. some exposure. That's the first thing I would say. But if you are graduating next year, 
have you spent time in networking? I know you've got your exam to prepare for, you've got assignments, but also you need to be getting your profile out there. Are you talking to recruitment agencies, ones that you respect? Are you looking at the organizations you want to work for? Are you understanding their values? A big thing for me is your personal, creating your personal value proposition, but also ensuring there's value alignment with the organizations that you want to step into. Because if there's strong value alignment, you're more likely to convey that within your application process. And believe me, values within an organization are very important. And if you can demonstrate you have strong value alignment, then you are strengthening your business case to gaining employment within that organization. So you have to do the pre-work, <clears throat> excuse me, you have to do the pre-work. It's not, I've graduated, I've done my last exam, I've taken some time out, I've done my graduation ceremony, I've thrown my cap in the air, I've taken lovely pictures, I've dated all my stories, right, let me look <laughs> for a job. You have to do the pre-work and the pre-work should have really started within your second year of your degree. If you've passed that stage, it's never too late. You need to make sure you're present. What is your personal brand saying? Are you visible? So you're looking for a job. Where can people find you? Because the largest amount of um, job offers, not necessarily graduate placements, if you're going through the whole graduate scheme, um, but if you are looking for a job, it's, you usually secure it via word of mouth. So if no one knows who you are, no one knows what your personal value proposition is, no one knows what your values are, no one knows what your skills and strengths are, where, where am I going to find you? And also, when you are looking at your CV, and I know this is a drag, believe me, I feel the pain, but are you tailoring your CV for the role that you're going for? You cannot have one CV and you use that for every single job. It will not work. It will not work. You need to ensure that your CV is tailored for the role that you are going for. And I know it's a lot, but in order to get... Well, in order to get um, selected, as it were, or in order to have your CV picked up from that wonderful conveyor belt, you need to make sure you're using the right words. You need to make sure you're, you're, you're saying the right things that shows that you are a value-added addition to that particular organization. Because if you have one generic CV, that means you're using generic words for every application. And it, it doesn't play out. Always the analogy that I would use is we only need when you have one pair of feet some of us only have one pair of feet yeah and that means we only need one pair of shoes right but it's not every single it's not that one pair of shoes that goes with every single outfit we want to wear so we need to change them accordingly to make sure it matches Mm -hmm. and it's the same with your CV very interesting thank you Lola for sharing that I, I wanted to kind of talk a little bit when we initially had our pre-chat I remember us talking a lot about this level of leadership because I said to you that you know I've never really thought about that that much like why have I not thought about first level leadership I was scratching my head I remember feeling quite inspired after our conversation but also like why haven't I ever thought about that when I think of leadership I think of always people at the top yeah. 
and yeah, people kind of in between, but not the first level leadership. And you and me had this really interesting discussion about managers that we've had who, you know, have been thrust into a job and they haven't been ready. Not to criticize, not to judge. We've all had them. And I shared an experience with you where I had a manager, I think, who, you know, she was just thrust into a job and she was stressed. And there was this weird, toxic subculture coming from the top down. And when we think about, you know, first managers, first leadership, what, why do you think they don't get the kind of limelight or the kind of support that, that, that they should, Ola? I think it's because people, once you, once you, once you get the role, people or, you know, an organization immediately expects you to thrive, not understanding mm. generally you've been given that position due to technical competency. No one has said, oh, what's this person like actually managing people? Or maybe they've witnessed you doing some lateral management with your team. So you unofficially took the lead. But forgetting that in that position, you haven't got direct responsibility. So you can be, you can, you can do lateral management with no consequences hardly. Because you are not the official manager. But when you are now a people manager, when you're in a leadership position, you have to think about strategy. You have to think about your team. You have to think about the overall objective, not just you as a leader, but okay, what is your team delivering? There's so much, there's so many more complexities and it's such a step up from doing lateral management. That's if you did do lateral management to doing direct management. And they may have, oh, okay, you're, you're getting this position now, Shoma, and just to help you in your leadership role, um, we've assigned you some online training about managing people, about mm. mid-years, end of years. Like, okay, great, thank you for that. But you, without the understanding, so much more is needed than that because you have to understand what is your leadership style? How are you communicating? What are the dynamics of the people that I'm, that I'm managing? And again, you still have to manage your own career trajectory on top of that. Because I see first level leaders, they are the gateways. They, they can be career gateways or career blockers. Mm -hmm. That's why when I approach it, I approach it to help them to be the best leader they can be, but also to make sure that they are imbibing practices and tools that will help them be an equitable and inclusive leader. Because without that, you are, you are not you're not building a inclusive work culture. And and just to go back upon the example that you shared, Shoma, mm -hmm. when someone is thrust into an organization, a lot of frustration will come, a lot of anxiety will come. Am I doing it right? What's going to happen if I do it wrong? A lot of worry. And what that does, that then permeates to the team members, unfortunately. So they are, they are on the receiving end of this barrage of stress, anxiety, frustration mm -hmm. that this unprepared leader is suffering. Yeah. And instead of a leader, which is very rare to say, you know what, team, I'm sorry, I'm just going through a bit of stress at the moment, or for them to go and get coaching or to get help or to even say to their direct manager, I actually need help here. I'm struggling as a first level leader. Yeah. They, they may see that or they will perceive that to be a sign of failure or weakness. 
what do they do? They keep stum. And what happens is their stress, their anxiety, and their worry just builds and builds and builds. And the end result is the, the team continuously receive the, the output of it. They are continu they're continuously at the receiving end. You get disengagement from the team. You may get attrition rates for your team increasing, productivity reducing. And quite frankly, it's not the place to be. <laughs> yes. so, so that is why I look at first level leadership both mm -hmm. from the individual perspective, because as that leader who's frustrated, not quite sure if they're leading in the right way, not sure of their leadership style, it also it also has a negative Im impact on them as an individual. Because yeah. people say, oh, no, you know, the poor team must be suffering. That individual is also suffering. Yeah. So it's about helping the individual, helping the team and helping the overall culture of that organisation. And it's really interesting you said that because that's exactly what, happened she would take out all her frustrations on us it's wide it's, it's so it's yeah. so widely done even when I do my one-to-one -one leadership coaching with first level mm -hmm. leaders and they're telling me I let them obviously share all their frustrations and then mm -hmm. like, okay so how's the team oh so so da, 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 and they start, okay and I think and then I let them have that self-realization of what's happening <laughs> yeah. yeah and they're like ah oh, aha uh -huh. here we mm -hmm. have it Okay, so let's let's now unpack it and see how we can help you and then also support the team. Yeah, I mean, it's a really interesting one because I think at the time I didn't have empathy for that person, but through time I grew empathy because I realised when I was outside of the situation what actually happened to them. And I think a lot of the time we can blame our managers without really having empathy for them. And I remember when I spoke to Hayley Lewis on this podcast, she gave a scenario, Lola, where a manager was being bullied by her team. And I'm sure you've seen situations like that. And I think sometimes with leaders, we need to also give them a little bit of, a little bit more com compassion, I think. Played across the whole of the not, not just the corporate space, but it's such an underplayed skill. Right? It needs to be spoken about. It needs to be encouraged. It needs to be practiced so much more widely. Definitely. One thing that you mentioned there that I know we discussed in our initial pre-chat is you spoke, and I really liked the term, gatekeepers and, and blockers. I mean, I kind of know a little bit about what you mean, but can you explain a little bit more about what you mean about that in terms of the career directories and like workplaces what what does that kind of mean in a workplace um so career gatekeepers and blockers whilst I always say be the architect of your own career which is great that's where all the planning and understanding what you need to do um to get to where you want to get to but there are also gatekeepers and gatekeepers can be your line managers can be a sponsor and these are the individuals who can support you because I'm, I'm a huge believer and advocate for support networks they mm -hmm. can support you in getting to that next step or adversely they can equally block you and people think oh yeah everyone's got you know everyone's got that manager who just hates me and doesn't want me to progress which may be true unfortunately but there are also those managers who because they are not inclusive in providing equitable opportunities for development, they are still blocking you. 
because mm-hmm. they're not giving you chances to develop and progress and to get that recognition that you need. So that that equally is a blocker. And the gatekeepers are the ones who they can almost decide who goes through that magical door of career career elevation. So they they may think, oh, actually, let me see. Yeah, Shoma can do it. But you know what? I think John would be better. So again, you are there standing at the door of career, career development, deciding who goes through and who doesn't. And if you're deciding who doesn't, then what are you doing to, for them to improve? Or mm-hmm. is it just a case of, no, Lola's, not, no, Lola's no good. No, she's, she's, she doesn't deserve it. Are you having conversations with Lola to find out where are you struggling? How can we support you? Are you given opportunities for Lola to grow, to develop? Are you giving her the training that is required? Are you suggesting, are you having those conversations to make her see that actually you do have potential, but we just need to work on these areas of development? Because if you continuously see others progress and you are stagnant, you will suffer from career frustration. And when you suffer from career frustration, you become disengaged. And when you become disengaged, you no longer give it to your best. And it's very important that gatekeepers have a lens to be equitable and inclusive when they are promoting people, but also looking at those who are not being promoted, understanding why and doing what they can to support them. And don't get me wrong, they've had the conversation with that individual who said, actually, I'm not looking for, I'm not looking to get promoted, but I would like an opportunity to work in this team to, to expand my knowledge in, I don't know, in operations then that's fine because your career trajectory is not always going to be. That's why that whole phrase of the corporate ladder, it's not always, it's not always vertical. Yeah. Sometimes you'll make lateral movements. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you might even go down and go sideways and go back up again. But it's, I'll call it your career scaffolding. Mm-hmm. So you, you can move in various different directions. It doesn't always, it doesn't necessarily mean it's always going to be um, vertical. But are you, mm-hmm. as a gatekeeper, are you supporting individuals in making progressive and developmental moves with their career interesting really really interesting I like the career scaffolding one of the things I wanted to ask a little bit about I think you did mention it in our pre-call as well is about retention and retention strategy I mean when I'm working with my clients one-to-one often they're either on the verge of, of leaving or they just feel like they're not getting that support from their organization from the company they work for I know this is something that a lot of people have been looking into and we spoke a little bit about you know like quiet hiring and strategies of retention but what what do you think are some of the key, the key things within your work where that, that you're trying to help people retain their staff or help them to stay in their jobs what what are some of the things that come up uh some of the things that come up with organizations in particular it's engagement because you can create you can create um you know development programs but are they the ones that are actually needed Mm. so obviously you know as an organization if you know if you're changing direction if there's um you know, new methodologies that need to be um, in place and you need to train your work staff. That's one thing. That's great. Okay. 
but there are other areas in which your workforce may also need supporting that you're not listening to. And because you're not listening to it, they are becoming disengaged and they will leave. So it's really understanding what other areas of development does the workforce need. And it's also sharing opportunities widely and equitably with those who want them. Because if I'm in, if I'm in an organization and I feel I've got no, no opportunity to develop, then I will leave because I don't want to be stagnant. So equally making opportunities for de development widely known, because like I said, you know, word of mouth is great, but if you're only talking to the same people, again, it's the same people that are getting the same opportunities. Yeah. So if you're not sharing those equitably amongst your workforce, you are going to get a part of your demographic that will become disenfranchised with the method in which opportunities are provided to certain people. Mm -hmm. um, so within organizations, it's very much about development. It's about making sure there's areas of, um, e equitable areas of development made available across the patch. It's, I would say, again, engagement is very, very big. Are you listening to where they, where they say they are struggling? And also is there clarity in terms of where the organization is going mm -hmm. and how they feed into that as well for mm -hmm. individuals a lot of individuals who are choosing to move on is because of that they, they've suffered career stagnation it could be because of the work culture as well what the organization is saying it's not what they're seeing and they're like okay you're just all you know you're all mouth and no trousers as it were you do a good talk but you're definitely not walking what you're you're definitely not doing the walk to to align to the talk that you're you're spilling out into the media as it were so there's an aspect where if you're if you are saying you're intentional about a, a particular thing then your workforce needs to see it it can't just be talk because again you will lose their trust and once you lose their trust it's a slippery road to actually i don't want to be in this environment anymore yeah very um I've, I've been seeing a lot of those kind of things as well Lola and I was just thinking about the employer experience that's that's like something that a lot of people are talking about now and it's so important it's so it? so important because even with entry talent what I find with a lot of organizations they are they they encourage individuals or the you know their current workforce to speak about their experience because they want to convey to future talent that this is the place to work mm -hmm. and it can't be forced it can't be made up so they're getting you know current employees to talk about their experience and if they can't find someone who has a glowingly positive experience then they know they're not doing a good job right yeah so yeah. it's really important for them at the moment and i see this a lot in um applications for graduate programs they will get previous and even on uh, like spring spring weeks because I do I do quite a few workshops for organizations who are in, you know for their spring week intake yeah. and it's very much about getting okay listen, listen you know let's listen to um you know Temi Temi's been a, a graduate she's been our graduate placement you know this is what Temi says so they they really want their workforce to have good experiences so they can use them as brand ambassadors almost to yeah. attract more talent. And if you can't find individuals, then you know you're not doing something right. 
Yeah, no, 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 it's really, really important. One thing I was going to ask you, and I know we discussed it again in our prequel about coaching and the importance of coaching, and you kind of mentioned it earlier on about how, you know, if people are struggling, they should think about career coaching. And one thing that's been coming up for me a lot is that there's a lot of emphasis on getting the employees to have coaching. And I know you work with first leaders, but I mean, how important do you think it is for everybody in an organisation to get some element of coaching? I think it's hugely important because you need to have a sounding board that is objective, that is really going to help you be the best you can be in your role Mm -hmm. and for your organization. And so when I when I talk to individuals and some people are hesitant, well, it's my it's my first role. I just want to get my head down and, um, you know, just focus on my work, really. And I'm thinking, well, firstly, that phrase, just keep my head down. Just No, we're not ostriches. We don't keep our heads down because then you're not being visible. Um, so you need to get your head out of the sand. And it's really helping to unpack because part of coaching is learning new things and also unlearning unhelpful practices. And you don't always get that. So people say, oh, but I've got a mentor. Okay, that's great. And I'm a huge advocate of having mentors. But your support network is not a one-person operation. It really and truly isn't. And some people are hesitant in terms of making that investment, be it time, be it monetary, and having a coach. But you get such a great return on that investment when you do. And Mm -hmm. I know from personal experience, not just being a career coach, but having a coach when I was within my career and also having a business coach, you do get a return on your investment. So it's either you you go it alone and even the things that you should be learning, you're not aware you should be learning. The things that you should be unlearning are still taking up unnecessary space <laughs> in your head. Um, and you keep on you keep on with the same practices that are not really aiding and supporting your development. Yeah. Or you do invest with a coach. Mm-hmm. Because what a coach can do and what a coach generally does is they help you and support you in not just achieving your goals and aspirations, but helping you to redefine possibly the journey you need to go on to achieve them and what needs to be done. And they also help to keep you to account. Well, I I definitely do. (laughs) Um, And it is, it's just understanding that it's not a one person journey. And once you want, and also what it does it puts you on that path to be a knowledge seeker. You then, it then opens your eyes to, wow, there's so much more that I have to learn. And then you're on that trajectory of always wanting continuous improvement. And that feeds into your work. Yeah, I love that. And yeah, no, I totally agree with everything you said there. Coaching is just it's amazing. Um, one thing that I wanted to ask you um, t- towards kind of the end is what, what's next for you and your business? Tell us a little bit more about what's what's coming up for you. What's coming up for me? What's coming up for me is working far more with corporations. So when I, this is like almost a third iteration of my business. So that's what I'm saying about, you know, when you, you learn so much by having a coach um, and you unlearn other things as well. And what, one thing that I've learned within this year is I'm so passionate about the work that I do. I am not precious about how 
my work or what I do gets out into the ether, as it were. So next year, I've got a lot of impactful collaborations lined up with value-aligned organizations. I'm rolling out, well, I've rolled out my first level leadership program, the Launchpad program, um, to build equitable and inclusive leaders within the workplace, which I'm heavily excited about. And I'm also working with organizations with their entry stroke rising talent in terms of delivering cohort coaching uh, mm -hmm. to entry talent and rising talent and working with a few employee resource groups as well within the social mobility space and within black employee network spaces as well. Brilliant. So I am, yeah, I'm getting out there. I'm looking forward to my collaborations because I love working with people and I feel I've missed that for a bit because I've done so much one-to-one -one career coaching. Um, but now it's like working with other organizations where we collaborate and we deliver fantastic results for organizations in being equitable and inclusive workplaces. So yes, I'm very excited for what 2024 is going to, what, what 2024 has in store for Solomon Consultancy and for myself as well. And also some lovely holidays. <laughs> yes, yes, we all need holidays, yeah, don't we? Lovely but... holidays I'm really looking forward to as well. But yes, it is really just making more of an impact and spreading my tentacles further afield by working with value-aligned organizations. So wonderful, wonderful, impactful collaborations is definitely happening in 2024. Awesome, awesome. Where can people connect with you, Lola? You've been brilliant today. Where can people find out more about you? You can connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, just search my name, Lola Bijude and I will come up. You can connect with me on Instagram under Solomon Consultancy. You can obviously visit the website www.solomonconsultancy.com and it's not Solomon as in King Solomon, it's Sol Soluman, which is S-O-L-U-M-A-N. Um, and there's a story about that which I will share or you can find on LinkedIn, which I've shared. And it's also mm -hmm. on my, the website as well. And you can connect with me on TikTok. So I've just started in, just started doing um, little <laughs> tongue-in-cheek <laughs> scenarios. Mm. Um, <laughs> yeah, little tongue-in-cheek scenarios about some of the challenges that we face in the workplaces and how to respond to them. Tongue-in-cheek. Um, because they are quite humorous, but their underlying message is obviously there. And I also share just some normal advice tips as well on TikTok, just little bite-sized chunks. So that's everywhere you can find me. Awesome. Thank you so much, Lola. You've been Thank wonderful you today. Thank you so Not much a problem at all. It's me. been brilliant. Thank you so much for listening to the Career Happiness Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it on social media or with somebody you know it will make a significant difference to. And remember, if you haven't already, please take some time to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks so much.